It's time to call our shots. On today's episode, we're going to begin by touching base with the latest free agency updates in Major League Baseball, and we're also going to briefly discuss the MVP awards. We will then transition into some double coverage. We have the weekly Adam Gase Awards, a brief recap of the most important games in college football and the NFL. And then we will end our show with our football weekend forecast. Going forward, we're going to be releasing football exclusive episodes on Wednesday. And then on Fridays, we're going to combine Major League Baseball and the NHL, at least until one of these seasons start. And we're going to dive into some history. We have a lot of great segments planned for this, and we'll have an elaborate discussion. So with that being said, roll the intro. Making their way to the ring, the reigning, defending, podcast champs, calling my shots. To start the show, we're going to go into our baseball segment, Touching Base. Zach, what's going on? I know we took some time off. Did you have a good holiday? I did. Uh, it was it was very good. Ate too much turkey. Did a little driving. Got to watch those Rebels win that Egg Bowl, which always is, is a plus. Being from the state of Mississippi, I think it was pretty cool. The first Kiffin versus Mike Leach Egg Bowl. So, And it was really? clean. We didn't have any murders or anything, so it was clean. That's, a, that's a surprise, and it's a new era. I tried smoked turkey for the first time. I used to not be the biggest turkey fan, but after we after I tried it when it was smoked, it totally changed my opinion about it. Uh, smoked turkeys are fine, but I will. I just this is kind of a tangent. One of my bosses told me about uh, a new recipe he tried, so he is not a turkey fan either. Uh, but his wife said we're having a turkey on Thanksgiving. So he took this thing and he shoved it so much with buffalo sauce in it and it came out like hot wings. I didn't get to taste it, but I'm going to try it maybe at Christmas. He said he shoved so much buffalo sauce in there. It was leaking out the sides and just dipped it in ranch dressing and it was just a bowl of hot wings. I don't know. I feel like buffalo sauce needs to be reserved for pizza and chicken wings. And that's a turkey seems a little bit, a little bit out there. So let's briefly go into some of the latest news that we've missed or just haven't talked about yet in Major League Baseball. We have Jose Abreu winning the American League MVP. The stats that you need to know, he hit 317 with 19 home runs and 60 RBIs this year. He clearly deserved it. He did beat out Jose Ramirez, who finished second, and DJ LeMay, who, who finished third in the voting. I saw today where he actually joins Frank Thomas, Dick Allen, and Nellie Fox as the only Chicago White Sox MVP winners in history. The Big Herd actually did it twice, which was pretty cool. Uh, another little interesting tidbit for you. He's the 28th player in history to win the Rookie of the Year and the MVP at some point in his career but he is the third player in history to win it in the same year, along with Fred Lynn and uh, Mr. Ichiro Suzuki. So uh, pretty elite company there. I think we're going to see some big things from Jose Abreu for a long time. Yeah. Call that our calling my shots stat of the week. We're just keeping you guys informed on all of baseball history. 
But it's pretty cool to see the White Sox turn it around. They really have been bad for a long time. So with players like Abreu and a young core to build around, and now that they finally have some pitching, they look like they're going to be formidable for the foreseen future here. You know, with some of these cities with two teams, um, it often seems like you always have these little brother, big brother, you know. Like the Mets. Mets, Mets. whatever, you know. But the weird thing about it is, is often when you see this, one team is far younger than the other. Like the Yankees are way older than the Mets. Like the Dodgers are way older than the Angels. But, I mean, it's not like the White Sox, for them being little brother, it's not like they just came around recently. I mean, they've been around in some form of capacity since 1900. I mean, so they've only won three World Series in their existence. So they've got more than a lot of other teams do, but, you know, more than brother. They've been more relevant, I'd say, over the last 20 years than even the Cubs have. They've at least had some sort of success. The Cubs didn't have success until – recently 2016 obviously but before then the White Sox really were the superior baseball team in Chicago for a long time I agree I think the Cubs have had a really good run last few years with Theo Epstein I mean they made some noise with Ryan Sandberg and Sammy Sosa in the 90s but I mean the White Sox won the World Series before they did they won it in 05 before the Cubs broke their long streak and you know I agree I think the as crazy as it sounds the White Sox have been more relevant for the past oh I don't know 100 years yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the breaking Chicago baseball news. The White Sox hired new manager Tony Larusa. Guy is seventy six years old. I don't know how they're expecting him to coach and still to be able to be successful, but it's a very interesting hire. They're clearly in a win a World Series or bust mentality. And then also Theo Epstein steps down from the Chicago Cubs. No one really saw that move coming, but maybe. He said he's taking a year off from baseball, and then I guess he's going to look to rebuild somewhere else. What do you think about that, Zach? Yeah, kind of weird. The LaRusa thing I can't quite figure out. So LaRusa was originally there from like 79 to 86 in Chicago, managing the White Sox. Uh, and then he went on to the athletics where he actually won a World Series in 1989 and is followed with a couple of World Series with the Cardinals. But uh, I don't I don't really understand. I mean, like you said, the guy's 76 years old. I don't want to say that the game has passed him by, but hell, he hasn't managed in nine years. I mean, this is kind of a weird move. I, I didn't understand that. And the Theo Epstein thing, I think there's something more than what we've heard. Theo, I don't know if he got squandered out by maybe the owner of the Cubs uh, or whoever, you know, the ownership group. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else and um, say, hey, I was successful in Boston. I was successful in Chicago. Maybe I need to go. Yeah, he broke, he broke the two longest curses in baseball history. So you got to sure. take the gap to him. For sure. I, I'm, I'm curious there. Well, uh, I expect to see a headline about Theo Epstein, some going somewhere probably in the next six weeks or something. Or who knows, he may be just like, hey, I'm, I've, I've done my deal. I'm going to live out in Maui. Yeah, and it would be well-deserved, the guy's eight incredible baseball executive and he deserves it and I, going back on the tony Larusa thing maybe the two duis are you know hurting his bankrolls so maybe that's why he took the job i'm not sure <laughs> man maybe so but you gosh you'd hate to see somebody that's won almost three thousand games as a manager have to come back and scrounge for money so hopefully not but eh, maybe so the rays have had a very interesting off season to say the least so far charlie morton Signs with the Braves, a one-year $15 million deal. I'm sure you're ecstatic about this. And then 
we get details about Randy Arozarena being detained in Mexico. Well, the Braves general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, has done a couple of really good short-term deals here in the past few years. I mean, he signed Josh Donaldson to that one-year deal. He signed Marcelo Zuna to this short-term deal that he's currently on. They're really getting by filling this extra salary gap that they have on these one-year kind of redemption deals. I think that this is a good move. I mean, it's $15 million. I mean, that's a good bit of money, even in today's age. But I think that Morton is going to be able to bring some of this experience. He's pitched in the postseason a lot. The Braves have a lot of really good young arms who don't quite have a ton of experience. I mean, they're obviously getting some baptism by fire lately, playing the Dodgers in the NLCS. But uh, I think a little bit of experience kind of sprinkled in will be good for these young kids. I think it'll be good. Do they expect him to be the ace? No, not not happening. But uh, I think it'll be good for these young guys to kind of see how things are done. Agreed. Charlie Morton is one of the most underrated pitchers in the postseason. He's a perfect number three guy. You couldn't ask for anyone better than that. And we saw he was very critical to the Tampa Bay Rays success in the postseason. If they didn't have him, they wouldn't have been able to go on that run by any means. Let's also spread a little bit of love to your boy, Freddie Freeman, winning the National League MVP. The dude hit 341 with 13 homers and 53 RBIs. Both of the MVP awards this year were first for Abreu and Freeman, which is cool to see. Change it up a little bit, but he obviously had a hell of a year, and he was also one of the key components to the Braves run that they went on. Yeah, it's cool to see one of your guys from your favorite team win an MVP. Like you said, Freddie had some good numbers this year statistically. Uh, He joins Hank Aaron, Dale Murphy, Terry Pendleton, and my childhood hero, Larry Wayne. Jones yeah. is, is winning MVPs with the Braves. Dale Murphy actually did it twice in the early 80s. But the guy, he's won a gold glove in 2018. Freddie is the perennial all-star with the Braves. I mean, he is just everything you want the face of your franchise to be. I mean, he's a likable guy. He can rake. Although, I've said it for a long time, if he shallowed that swing out and swang with a level baseball swing. There's no telling how far he get at baseball doing that uppercut swing. But, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad Freddie won. I think it's it's awesome, and uh, I think it'll be some good motivation for him going forward. I'm a huge fan of, like, the awkward-looking baseball swings. Back when Kevin Euclid used to hit, I just think guys like that, even Cody Bellinger, I just always find it fascinating that they can actually hit a baseball swinging like that. Do you but, remember hey. what Craig Cancel's, uh, Craig Cancel's baseball stance was? No, I don't. Go back and look it up. Craig Cancel held that bat as far and as high <laughs> as he could in his swing, and that bat was literally as far as he could reach. And he could put a little pop on the ball too now. Hey, baseball is one of those sports. It's kind of like golf where if it works, it works. You know, don't, don't mess with it too much. That's right. Your swing got you to the big leagues. So last topic to talk about in Major League Baseball, the Rays look like they're entertaining trade options for Blake Snell. Can't say I'm surprised by this. I'll be interested to see how they're going to plan on rebuilding. If they lose both Morton and Blake Snell, they're going to be left with just Tyler Glass now. Seems like their starting rotation would take a huge step backwards, and I don't know that they have the young arms to come up and replace that. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, Snell just signed this five-year, $50 million team-friendly deal. Your big guy making $10 million is a steal, but it looks like they just lost so much money during the pandemic that they, uh, they're they trying to recuperate some of their losses, which which kind of a bum for uh, the Rays and the Rays fans, especially if Blake Snell ends up in black and white pinstripes too. 
I don't even want to think about that. I really don't. They already they get enough talent. Let him go. What would be really nice is if he went to the Pirates. Or can he just come up 300 miles and go to Atlanta? <laughs> if we're if we're smell, smell to the Pirates, let's call it here now. Give me some hope for this next baseball season. That would be great. The ideal. Don't toy you with yourself. <laughs> Not happening. It's it's tough being a Pirates fan. You don't understand. Pirates that. have a better chance of going out there on the street and say, "Hey, I'll pay you five hundred thousand dollars to pitch this next game to a homeless man," than they do signing a big deal. Nutting only cares about his paycheck. That's it. Can't stand the guy. They need to change ownership, and until they do that, it, we're just going to watch a dumpster fire team ruin Same. great young talent year after year. I do not like. Pittsburgh is probably my most hated sports town. I do not like the Penguins or the Steelers, but I will be the first to tell you that they have loyal fan bases, and it's a shame that the Pirates have not done anything since the early 90s when the Braves beat them out in those NLCS classic games in the early 90s, and they haven't won a World Series since 1979. We are family, so, you know, it's a shame. Yep. And that's one of the reasons why Zach and I used to bicker at each other in the golf shop when we were working is our uh, me being the loyal, diehard Pittsburgh fan that I am and Zach hopping on bandwagon teams, you know? Well, I wouldn't say bandwagon teams, but I'll also say my high school rival team was black and gold. So they just kind of bred me from birth to hate everything black and gold. So, yeah. Everyone can be a hater. <laughs> the city of champions. So let's kick it over to some double coverage this week. We have... An action-packed football slate coming up. Last week was absolutely crazy. With Thanksgiving, there was football on almost every single day. Easily the best time of the year to watch football. But let's start out with our favorite segment, the Adam Gase Award, otherwise known as the AGA. So, Zach, who do you have the privilege of nominating for this week's Worst coach of the week. Well, let me just preface this by saying the Cowboys probably could have beat Washington if Mike McCarthy was not roaming that sidelines in Dallas. It was just calling a fake punt inside your own territory and thinking you're going to catch the other guys off guard is fine. But you do it twice. Man, what is going on? He is just the worst coach I've ever seen in the last 10 minutes, man. It's terrible. What is he doing, Dalton? So apparently Mike McCarthy, during all of the off time that he had when he was let go from the Packers, he supposedly used that time to study analytics and to be more of a student of the game. But I guess the analytics that he was studying resulted in being one of the worst coaches in the NFL now. Did you ever hear the process when he was being interviewed last year for the Cowboys job? He said that, hey, I watched every play of every game last year (laughs) season. And after he got the job, they asked him about that in his press conference. And you know what his comment was? Hey, man, I was just trying to get the job. I wonder what else he did to Jerry Jones to be able to get it. You know, if that's (laughs) that's the stuff that he's willing to sacrifice. (laughs) It's a disgrace. Jerry Jones needs to step out of the way. That way they can actually hire a good coach. You saw back when they had Jimmy Johnson, the only reason that they separated was because Johnson basically wouldn't bend over to what Jerry Jones was requesting. And now that Jerry wants to be such an egomaniac and have complete control over the team, he just hires all these yes guys to do whatever he says, and you're going to get the same result. Surprisingly, though, Jason Garrett actually looks like a better coach than Mike McCarthy is. 
you know he's smiling in New York. That's just hilarious. I'll tell you this, as long as Emperor Palpatine is up there in that box, the Cowboys are not going to improve or get any better. But as the great Dusty Rhodes used to say, that is subject to rumor and innuendo. So, Dalton, what have you got for the Adam Gase Award this week? My nomination goes to none other than Sir Matt Wells, Texas Tech's head football coach. Texas Tech drives down the field, scores a touchdown. They go up 24-21. to They get, okay, we're in pretty good position. Let's just take it easy, rely on our defense a little bit. Well, Mr. Wells decides he's going to elect for an onside kick. But what happened after that is Oklahoma State's return man housed it for a touchdown, and then Oklahoma State ended up going up 28-24, and then from there they ended up cruising to a victory. And then Mr. Wells also had some terrible coaching decisions late in the game with how he managed the clock. So I think if you get an onside kick returned for a touchdown when you have all the momentum in a game, that's an automatic nomination to the AGA award in my book. It happens so infrequently, and if you can't even coach your guys to tackle on an onside kick, then he's a worthy nomination. That is a great point. However, I've just got one one deal for him. If he gets fired, which NFC team is he going to go coach? <laughs> hey, you know what? It actually worked out for old Kingsbury, so maybe that would be what he needs to happen. He's also not a quarterback whisperer like some people think Kingsbury is, so we'll see. Kingsbury learned a lot about these. Not only was he a fantastic player, but I think he learned a lot under who his head coach was, which was the great nutcase that is Mike Leach. I think that Leach told Gardner Minshew last year, son, do you want to go, uh, or excuse me, two years ago when Minshew was a senior at Washington State, he said, son, do you want to go be a backup and hold a clipboard at Alabama or do you want to lead the nation in passing? And I'll be damned if he didn't lead the nation in passing at Washington State. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, which in Cliff Kingsbury's case is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So let's give a brief recap to week 13 in the college football world. We have the Cyclones beating Texas. Now a lot of people are starting to wonder whether or not Tom Herman will be fired. I think that pretty much confirmed at this point. A lot of the boosters want him out. This is probably his last year. Agreed. This was a pretty good game. It was back. Well, it was a great game. Texas great. actually led Iowa State 13 to 7 and a half, but uh, Brees Hall had a clutch three yard rushing touchdown with a minute 25 to go to put the Cyclones up on top for good. Matt Campbell is a name that uh, is not getting the recognition he deserves. I believe he'll be on the sidelines for a bigger program than Iowa State next year. Good guy, good program builder. He's a good coach. I think Tom Herman's seat is broiling hot. There was a rumor that Urban Meyer was searching for property in Austin this week. And a lot of people, a lot of people I, are saying it's going to happen. I've heard it too, and I would not be one bit surprised that if they paid him fifty million dollars to come coach the University of Texas. But as of now, Tom Urban is still the coach. How long? We don't know. But boy, that seat's hot as hell. Yeah. He's really been a complete disappointment. Tom Herman was definitely the hot hire after his tenure at Houston. A lot of people had high expectations for him. Everyone was thinking that they would be perennial Big 12 contenders, but obviously they haven't won the conference and they don't look like they have the ability to win it under his program. So he's probably going to. It's so his crazy. Job, his job's gone. 
The University of Texas is a top five job in the country at its worst. It has all the money in the world. They have history. They have fans. They have athletic facilities. They've got their own sports network. They have their own sports network. That is, I mean, they can pay money like no one else at the University of Texas. And for them to be struggling along at eight and five, eight and four, oh, Texas is back. Oh, wait, this week we're not. It's just, it's it's not there. Herman has not delivered. I think he's a a decent coach, but he is not what the University of Texas thought they were getting. I'm like you. I think he's done. I think it's over. Talk about great games. We got a pretty good one at uh, Notre Dame with North Carolina. Did you catch that one? Yeah. You know, Mac Brown's really done a tremendous job in what his second year at North Carolina. Sam Howell. Probably a top three NFL quarterback prospect at this point. I think he's a super underrated QB. He's definitely a dual threat option. He's huge too, so guys can't even really tackle him. Maybe he's another Big Ben. We'll see. Why is Ian Book not in the Heisman candidate discussion? I think he has played a tremendous year, and he's definitely not getting enough respect. He showed out in this game. He may not have lit the world on fire with his 280 yards and one touchdown, but man, he showed out. He led this team down the field. Kyron Williams rushed for 120 yards. But I'll tell you the big stat. This Notre Dame defense was the real winner this weekend. North Carolina is still putting up 40 points a game. And this Notre Dame defense stepped up and held them to 17 points. I was very impressed. I was very surprised, very impressed. I'm not a Notre Dame guy. I I don't typically like them. But, man, you can't argue with the season they're having. They deserve to be the ranked number two in the country. Yeah, absolutely. They have – a tremendous resume, obviously, with the win over Clemson. Even if they lose to Clemson and the ACC championship, I think they still might have a shot at getting in, as long as it's a close game. If they get blown out with Trevor Lawrence, then they might miss. But if it's a close game, it comes down to a field goal, playoff committee might put them in. Also had Michigan State Northwestern. Sparty took them down. Did you, did you see that coming? Yeah. What is going on with the Big Ten this year? It is the most obscene ridiculous, unpredictable conference in the country. Makes no sense whatsoever. Michigan State looked like a dumpster fire of a franchise for how many weeks, and they come back and beat undefeated Northwestern, who looked like really the only true contender in the Big Ten West, and I actually had high expectations for them after their win over Wisconsin. But then you have you know, teams like the Spartans that come in and lose games they, they shouldn't lose, but then beat teams that no one would have saw coming. I mean, I, I can't remember what the line was on it, but I can't figure out who this Michigan State team is. I really don't know. Well, I'll be honest with you. I watched a decent amount of this game. Michigan State had a decent-sized lead, and then uh, Northwestern actually battled back and took the lead early in the fourth quarter, 20-17, to 17, and I was like, eh. I'm done. I think the clock has struck midnight. But I'll tell you what, Mel Tucker has got Sparty playing hard. You know what? They beat Michigan. They took down Northwestern. These guys have no quit in them. I'll give them credit. I've counted them out, but they're still playing hard. Yeah, he had pretty large shoes to fill. And I feel like he's stepped in to a – very unfortunate situation and done a a pretty good job, all things considered. Yeah, he he really didn't have a whole lot to – to lose in this aspect because D'Antonio had that system going for gears and then all of a sudden steps down. But I, I, like I said, I'm impressed. The guy's done pretty well. Couldn't agree more. Then we have Oregon State upsetting Oregon. To me, this was probably the craziest upset of the week. And there were and there were a lot of them, you know, with Michigan State and Iowa State, arguably. But I think what this game dictates is that the Pac-12 really has no shot 
of any team making the college football playoff. The conference is terrible in football now. Oregon was really the only true powerhouse they had left. The fact that they lost to Oregon State is terrible because the last team to make the college football playoff from the Pac-12 was Washington. 24-0 that year at Alabama. Yeah, they got absolutely smoked, and I believe that was in 2016. Well, I will say this was a hell of a game, 41-38. to The Beavers pulled it out. Chance Nolan punched it in with 33 seconds to go. So it came down to the wire. Dalton, this is a nasty rivalry. I, I've always like seen this on TV and was like, ah, yeah, whatever. But I tell you what, I spent a little time up in Oregon a little couple years ago, and, man, this is – it's nasty. They get after each other up there, and which I was very impressed, especially being an SEC boy, so kind of cool. Uh, another thing is uh, Oregon now has fallen behind Washington in the Pac-12 North. They play December 12th. That's pretty much going to determine who wins that game now that Mike Leach is out of that conference. So should be a decent game here coming up. We got the college football rankings coming out here in a couple days. Give me your list. What you got? Who you think is title contenders? Pretty straightforward overall. A group of five team is not going to make it. It's either going to be the Big Ten, the ACC, and the SEC. My only contenders I have are Alabama. Obviously, I think they're the best team in the country, 8-0. They really haven't been in a close game yet this year. They've kind of steamrolled everyone. And then Ole Florida. Miss pretty tough, let's be real. Yeah, but no, I mean, it wasn't – it was tough for Ole Miss. Standard. It was 49-49 to with five minutes left to go in the game. Yeah, but they, they kind of pulled away at the end. They did they did play them pretty tough. I'll give you that. But then my other team I have is Florida, 7-1. and one. And the reason why I am placing them over A&M is because they're in the SEC East, and I think that their path is much easier. They can actually elevate themselves into the playoff if they beat Alabama. Not saying it's going to happen, but they, they have a – They control their own destiny, yeah. Yeah, they control their own destiny – whereas Texas A&M is kind of on the outside looking in. So those are the two teams that I have as playoff contenders from the SEC. Then in the ACC, I actually think there could be two teams that make it this year, which is pretty crazy. Well, Notre Dame's not typically in the ACC, so it's really helping their conference. But I have Notre Dame at 9-0 and and Clemson at 8-1. and As I alluded to earlier, if Notre Dame and Clemson play in the ACC championship game, and it is a field goal game, Clemson wins, it would be pretty hard to put a team above Notre Dame into the playoffs as long as that game is close with Trevor Lawrence. But if Clemson loses, then they're completely out of it. It's done. They have no shot of making it. However, I think with Lawrence, I still think that they're a better team than Notre Dame. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, and it's going to come down to the ACC championship there. And then I'm still going to put Ohio State in. They're 4-0. But from what I've seen, they look like a top four team in the country, and they might not have the resume that other teams will have. Hopefully they can play six games. That way they're not automatically disqualified due to the new Big Ten rules. But I I can't make an argument for any other team to supersede Ohio State. I just don't see it. I think the Buckeyes can play with anyone, and we see how good Justin Fields is, and Ryan Day has that program rolling. Agreed. So um, pretty much I agree with everything you said. Here is my top five rankings. These are not what I consider the best five teams in order, but this is just based on what they've done this year. I think you've got number one, Alabama. So like Dabo Sweeney said last year, you got two buses in college football, the Alabama bus and the Roy bus. 
the rest of y'all bus. Alabama is head over heels, the best team in the country. Easily. Notre Dame is my number two. I think Notre Dame has had the best season. They obviously had the biggest win with Clemson, even though they were minus Trevor Lawrence. But I think you got to have them in there if they go undefeated. Yep. Number three, I got Ohio State. Ohio State's kind of the team we know the least about. They are obviously immensely talented. They obviously deserve in the top four teams in the country. They still got to play the games, but um, they have obviously a lot less of a sample size than these other teams do. Clemson's my number four. I've got uh, them with Trevor Lawrence. They can play with anybody. Enough said, as long as he has no COVID. Number five, I've got Florida. Their offense is elite. Their defense is leaves some stuff to be desired. I think the winner of the SEC championship game is in. Obviously, no questions asked. If Alabama loses, I think they, going back to that scenario between Notre Dame and Clemson, I think Alabama could possibly get in if it is a close game, especially with the body of work that Alabama has presented over this year. Absolutely. I don't think that Florida can beat them, but we will see. Notre Dame, Clemson. One of them is going to be in there, if not both, like you said, and Ohio State. So I'm right there with you. I agree with everything you said. Yeah. It's either that or you have to try to make an argument for Cincinnati, BYU, Coastal, a team like that. And it's just none of them really have a strong enough resume to really be able to convincingly say that they deserve to be there. No, I was going to say, there is one more team, and you name-dropped them a minute ago. Texas A&M could still get in, theoretically. If Alabama beats Florida, that would put Florida at two losses. I think A&M gets in there. If they went out with their only loss, it was ugly, but they still only have one loss to Alabama. That, that loss might come back and bite them in the ass, though. I don't. They didn't make a strong enough argument playing Alabama. That really, That really hurt them a lot. Agreed, but they also, if they beat Auburn this weekend, they will have beaten four ranked teams with Florida, with Texas A&M. The win over Florida is great. It really helps their resume. With beating Florida, Auburn. You know, I think A&M could sneak in there. I don't I don't think they can win it, but they could certainly get there. Yeah. And they're, definitely on, they're on the outside looking in, though. And let me say this. I was flipping back and forth and saw Cincinnati the other day, and it may have been on game day or something, maybe the – you know, the Zoom calls on game day. But there was a Cincinnati fan that said, we want Bama. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You yeah, sneak you in there in that number four spot, you were going to get beat by 90, and they will never let a non-Power 5 school get in there again. You're doing great. Fickle's doing great. And I'm glad he's doing great at Cincinnati. But you don't want Bama. So let's briefly go into our week 14 picks. We have the first game. We were just talking about them quite a bit. Number five, Texas A&M. They're six and one, facing off against Auburn, who is five and three. The lines really—I figured it would be higher than this. A&M's only favored by six and a half points. Seems a little crazy. A lot of people are still giving Auburn respect, even though they're the most unpredictable team in college football. And maybe that's why the odds makers put it there because at home, you really never know with Auburn what team is going to show up. But Auburn did beat Texas A&M last year, 28-20, to 20, but I think this is a much better Aggies team this year. The series all-time is 5-5, five and five, so whoever wins this is going to have the upper hand. And A&M looked a little bit shaky last week against LSU with their 20-7 to seven win. LSU's defense has been very suspect this year, and A&M's offense was pretty anemic, so that gives me a little bit of concern. 
However, Tank Bigsby, Auburn's running back, is questionable. And if he can't play this game, is a blowout because Texas A&M has arguably the best running defense in the country. You can make the argument they've shut down elite backs all year long. And Bo Nix really hasn't proven to me that he's taken that next step to solidify himself. So I'll take Texas A&M and the points. Taking the points too, huh? Going the other way. Auburn got pretty beat down by Alabama last week, but let's be real. Who hasn't? I think Gus Malzahn is desperate to keep his job. I think Bo Nix is desperate for a breakout. And I think Texas A&M is due to lay an egg. I'm going to go with Auburn and and, uh, Bo Nix and War Eagle. Interesting. It it could happen. That's the thing with Auburn being at home. You never know. They can beat any team at any given time, or they can lose to any team at any given time, like South Carolina this year, one of the worst teams in the SEC. I tell you what, it's a shame that there's no fans going to beat this game because you think Kyle Field gets raucous, and it does. But I'm just going to tell you, Jordan-Hare is one of the toughest places to play in football, especially in the SEC. Those fans get riled and raucous with that eagle flying around. For sure take Auburn if it was a packed capacity stands, but I'm still going to take the Eagles slash Tigers. Okay. Next game, we have number 10, Indiana, who is 5-1, facing off against number 18, Wisconsin. It was two and one. The line in this game also seems quite ridiculous with Wisconsin being favored by 14 points. Now, maybe a lot of that has to do with Indiana's quarterback, Michael Panay Jr., tearing his ACL. That could be what has better scared, but I don't understand why Indiana just keeps getting underrated week after week. They only lost to Ohio State by seven. They were in that game, and Ohio State, to me, is one of the best teams in the country. Indiana has an elite defense. But it's really going to depend on how well Jake Tuttle, their new quarterback, can play. He's a four-star recruit, and interesting enough, he was the highest quarterback recruit Utah ever landed. Didn't play a snap, and he transferred, but he clearly has some talent. And he looked pretty good when he came in. He was 5 of 5, I think for like 35 yards. So we'll see. Wisconsin also lost to Northwestern 17-7 to in their last game, which basically ruined their season. I didn't see that coming. I figured Wisconsin would win that game. And Graham Mertz threw three picks. And Indiana has, their defense has the most takeaways in college football this year. The only reason that I'm going to do this is I'm going to take Wisconsin to win just because Michael Panay Jr. is out. I think that is an Achilles heel for Indiana. I don't know that they can overcome it. But I think Indiana covers 14 points easily. Ah, Panay Jr. just accounted for so much of Tom Allen's offense and You hate to see it for the kid who is having such a good year. I just don't think that they can hang with Wisconsin without him. I I think Whiskey by a bunch, and I think Mertz and Berger are going to run wild. And I just, man, I hate it for Tom Allen, but I just think when his star player's out, man, they're kind of, they're outgunned. Give me, give me the badges. So the next game we have Baylor, who is two and five, facing off against number 13, Oklahoma, who is six and two. The Sooners are favored by 22 points. Rightfully so. They've won their last five games. They look like the Oklahoma of old after the abysmal start that they were off to. Baylor just beat Kansas State for what seems like their first win in forever. It was actually a pretty good win for their program. Interesting enough, Baylor's been in almost every game this year, so they're really not as bad as their record indicates. However, the Sooners are rolling right now, so... I know there's no way that I can justify picking Baylor, but I do think they're going to cover because 22 points is a lot. 
and they've also been in every single game this year. So take Sooners to win, Baylor to cover. It's a lot of points. Spencer Rattler's really coming into form. Good is for him, kind of rolling in there, being the next great Sooners quarterback. Uh, I'll tell you, Baylor's head coach Dave Aranda was a defense coordinator at LSU last year. I'm afraid the only way Baylor wins this game is if he calls up Coach O and they get the band back together. I, I just don't see Baylor being able to pull this win off, so I'm going to take the Sooners to, to win and to cover. Leave a comment for Zach's Coach O impersonation. Leave that stand for something. We're trying to do it every single week. You know, it's just a professional. Can't even tell the difference. We'll sneak it in there somehow. <laughs> and also, if you guys enjoy our content, we just recently started a Patreon. I have some cool giveaways on it. If you do decide to you know, support our show, help us grow. We're just looking to invest into some new equipment and come out with some new segments and, or maybe stream on YouTube as well. You can find our Patreon at patreon.podbean.com slash CMS. We appreciate it. Let's get back to it. Another big game we got coming up about this week in the Pac-12 is Colorado versus Arizona. We got uh, Arizona's winless and is a seven-point dog against the undefeated Buffaloes. What you got? This is a very interesting matchup because Colorado might actually be the best team in the Pac-12. We don't know yet. It's really anyone can win the Pac-12 and, you know, being 3-0, and I figured that we would show them some love with this matchup because the other Pac-12 matchups were – Less than tantalizing. So Colorado's favored by seven points. Arizona seems to be getting worse every week. Colorado hasn't really played anyone yet, so we really don't know what type of team they are. And the Pac-12 is garbage. Arizona can't stop anyone. Their defense is atrocious. I'm going to take Colorado. I think this one's easy. Yeah, I agree. I hate it for Kevin Sumlin. I really liked him when he's at Texas A&M, even though I wasn't a big fan of their program. I think he's a good coach. Kind of got the shaft going to Arizona. Can't quite turn them around. Hopefully he um, he can have a little luck. But until then, I'm going to take the Buffaloes, the coolest mascot in college sports. So we'll take them. Let them ride. Okay. Next game, we actually have the college game day matchup. First time it's ever at Coastal Carolina. So we have number 25, Liberty, who just snuck back into the rankings. They're 9-1, and one, facing off against number 14, Coastal Carolina, who is 9-0. Coastal is a seven-point favorite, and Coastal is also leading the Sun Belt Conference with Louisiana, pretty close behind. Liberty is an independent team, and to me, they have a stronger resume than the Chanticleers do because they have wins over Power 5 conference teams even though they're, the teams they beat aren't very good. But still, Coastal's best win is over Louisiana and App State. So this is a very close matchup. If you look at their statistics, they're very, very similar team. For example, their points per game, Liberty is averaging 38.3 points per game and Coastal's averaging 38.7. So this is a very close matchup. But if you look through all of these statistics – I feel like Liberty's a better team. I'm going to take them. I agree. That's a fair point. Coastal Carolina's quarterback, Grayson McCall, has had a pretty good year. He's thrown 20 touchdowns and one interception. Not to mention he's got kind of an Old West name. Old Grayson McCall sounds like a sheriff in an Old West town. Uh, you said it yourself. I think um, he's done this against not great competition, but they did beat the University of Louisiana, which who's also ranked. So 
I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take Coastal Carolina. Um, obviously, from the past couple weeks, you know that I'm a big Hugh Freeze fan, but I, I just think they're due for another letdown. Chanticleers, I'll take them. So this is also a battle. So this is a battle of two head coaches who are definitely going to be getting some job offers from pretty major Power 5 teams. So whoever wins this, it could mean a lot for their next job and for their future implications. So should be a great matchup. No doubt. No doubt. Another big game in the ACC this week. We got Clemson, Virginia Tech. What you got? Clemson's favored by 22 points, rightfully so. I wish I could spend more time talking about this matchup, but Clemson is absolutely rolling at this point. Now that Trevor Lawrence is back, they stomped Pitt last week 52-7, to and Virginia Tech lost their last matchup that they played against Pitt 47-14. to just shows you the differences in teams. Virginia Tech also lost to Liberty. They're not a very good team this year. I'll take Clemson and the points pretty easily. Yeah. Nothing to see here. I like Justin Fuente. I think he's a good coach. He had a couple of down years here in Virginia Tech. But, man, Trevor Lawrence is out for blood. Good luck. That's all I got. Clemson big time. Clemson by a million. So let's move on to the NFL. Brief Week 12 synopsis. Washington destroys the Cowgirls. As we mentioned earlier, Mike McCarthy making it on the AGA award. Says all you really need to know about that game. Kirk Cousins leads a game-winning drive versus the Panthers. Kirk's actually been playing pretty well. You know, he has the Vikings hanging in there and see him get a game-winning drive. He's He's maybe not quite a franchise quarterback, but every once in a while he can surprise you. He played well. He had a game-winning drive against the 4-8 and eight team. Woo! <laughs> That's good for Kirk Cousins, you know. Pats upset Arizona. That was a crazy win. Don't really know who the Patriots are at this point. One week, they look like they're a playoff team. The next week, they lose to Houston. So, who what knows at this point? I have no idea. They're not tanking. Like, clearly, they're still trying to be competitive. They're three games back of Buffalo, two games back of the Dolphins in the AFC East. They're fighting amongst Miami, Cleveland, Indianapolis, and Baltimore for a wild-card spot. They're not better than those teams. I have not figured out what Bill Belichick's doing. They're not going to get a good pick in the draft, keep winning these games. But well, Bill Bill always trades his first-round picks anyway. That's the thing. Bill Bill hates making first-round picks. I think he's traded his first round pick for like the last five years or something ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. That defense played incredible, though. They held Kyler Murray to 170 yards and picked him off. Man, they Cam Newton threw 84 yards and two interceptions, but still didn't lose the game. That defense did phenomenal. Yeah, and that's even their defense has been super inconsistent. Like some year or some weeks they look great, like they're the defensive old, but. I don't know. It's so unpredictable. Then we have the Falcons embarrassing the Raiders 43-6. to What a surprise. Did you see that coming? I, started no, I, Derek, I streamed Derek Carr on one of my fantasy leagues. Worst decision I've made all year. And it might cost me a playoff spot because of it. The only thing I can figure out with the Raiders laying this egg is they put so much emotion in going, coming a little short to the Chiefs last week that they just couldn't get up. But you know what? Talk about the Patriots doing something meaningless. The Falcons do this every year. They have this terrible start, and then they just roll up four or five wins straight out of nowhere. And the only thing I can figure out with the Raiders laying this egg is they were 
bummed out because they used so much energy falling short to the Chiefs last week. I, I just don't know if they got up for this game. But, you know, talking about the Patriots winning these meaningless games, I mean, the Falcons do this again. They win every year like four or five games in a row after a terrible start, and it makes them think that, hey, this core with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, they can still win. Well, this is not good for the Falcons because now they're going to get like the 10th pick, 7th to 10th pick. It's not going to be a game changer, and they're not going to make the playoffs. They're kind of stuck in this purgatory mediocrity hell. Yep, they're the most deceptive team in the NFL. They trick you every single year into thinking that, you know what, maybe this is the year that the Falcons don't blow a 24-point lead in the Super Bowl, or maybe this is the year that they can actually win the NFC South. Well, you You used the right word there, blow. Blow it up. Agreed. Agreed. Next, we have the 49ers upsetting the Rams. It was a crazy week of upsets. I mean, didn't really see this game, this coming either. I was somewhat convinced that the Rams maybe could be Super Bowl contenders, but now after losing to San Francisco, I'm questioning it. Man, Kyle Shanahan deserves all the credit in the world. The 49ers have just been decimated by injuries and COVID and all this stuff. Debo's back. Debo's back. You see that? Man. 11 receptions, 133 yards. I did. Nick Mullins just slinging it around to him. But I'll tell you what, the 49ers defense picked off Goff twice and held him under 200 yards passing. I, again, Kyle Shanahan getting these guys to play after being so depleted. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I, I think that this just shows how good of a coach he is to be able to get this out of his players. So a little bit of news for you. The Steelers-Ravens game has moved to Wednesday night. We're recording this on Tuesday. We'll get to watch a Week 12 matchup tomorrow. At this point, it doesn't look like Lamar Jackson's going to play. Baltimore's missing half their team. But it also doesn't look like James Conner is going to play. Should they just cancel it and reschedule it for Week 18? It, a Wednesday game at 340 seems pretty ridiculous. Man, I agree. I think that when you've got this many players missing, especially this many starters and key players, I just think you should scrap it. This game has major playoff implications. I know the Steelers are way ahead of them, a couple of games ahead of them. I think three in the uh, division lead. But still, this game, theoretically, the Ravens could come back and tie this division. I mean, this is a big game. I think that doing it just to do it is a mistake. I think that they should wait, especially if they have a chance to have everybody healthy and then play it. That way we can know the true outcome of the game. What do you think? Well, I'm just still upset that I didn't get to watch it on Thanksgiving. I was looking forward to it. It was going to be easily the best game during Thanksgiving. And I don't know. I hate that John Harbaugh is over here crying to the media and they're all just buying it. And it could just be that I despise the, the Ravens. But seems pretty ridiculous. He's kind of seems like a little bit of a drama queen right now. But that's my opinion. And also the Steelers are now going to have to play three games in 12 days after they already got hosed out of their original bye week. So everyone can talk about the Steelers having an easy schedule, but they've still been absolutely screwed over by all these other changes. So, <laughs> Oh, no, the Steelers have a tough schedule. Well, buddy boy, if you want to go... Yeah, the, they have to play three games in 12 days. That's No one else has to do that. Well, the Ravens are about the only good team they got left on that schedule anyways. And Buffalo. We'll get into Buffalo in just a second, but I'm just telling you. You want to be the best, you got to be the best. 10 and now, record says we're the best. We're getting to that time of the year where the playoffs are right around the corner. So quickly, we wanted to give our three Super Bowl contenders from each conference. Starting out in the AFC, I have the Chiefs, number one, at 10 and one. The Steelers, number two, 
who are 10 and 0, and the Bills, who are 8 and 3 as my third best team in the AFC. A little bit of justification for this. The Chiefs don't really need to say much. Patrick Mahomes, reigning Super Bowl champions, have looked great despite their one hiccup to the Raiders. The Steelers are 10 and 0. You can make the argument, and I certainly will make the argument, that they're the most balanced team in the NFL. Offense, defense, can run the ball. Great on special teams. Don't really need to say much more about that. And then you have the Bills, who are 8-3. and three. I think they're a sneaky good team. They've lost a couple of games, but if they are hot, they can play with anyone. Their defense is looking a lot better now. And if they get back rolling again, Josh Allen has the capability of shooting it out with guys like Mahomes if he's on. So they could make some noise. That's fair. That's fair. So uh, I did a top three, and then I had one kind of knocking on the door in the AFC. Steelers, I agree with you. They're fourth in offense if scoring, first in defensive scoring. The one weakness I got, they're 21st in rushing. I think James Conner's having a good year. Obviously, COVID now has, has stopped him, but – but they need to get run, running the ball a little bit more because when it gets in those cold playoff games, you know, you need to take a little bit of pressure off Big Ben. I'd like to see the running game go a little bit more. Chiefs, my number two offense is certainly a strength. They're number two in scoring. Uh, another big strength for them is Patrick Mahomes on offense and Tyron Matthew for the defense are just field generals, man. When they're on the field, they make a huge difference. With the Chiefs for a weakness, man, durability. They've had some problems with injuries with Travis Kelsey and stuff over the past couple of years and the ability to pull away. You know, they had the big league on Tampa Bay here last week, and next thing you know, Tampa Bay has pulled it within three points or a touchdown. I'd like to see them pull away. I think that – I don't know if it's a Super Bowl hangover or nothing, but, I mean, that could come back to bite you in the playoffs. My third team, I've got the Titans instead of the Bills. Strengths, A.J. Brown's the best playmaker in football when he's got the ball in his hands. Derrick Henry's a beast. Is that a biased take as an old man? Yeah. I'm just going to tell you, if A.J. Brown catches that ball in a slant route in the middle of the field, you're in trouble. What about Deontay Johnson after the catch? Guy's fast. No doubt. I'm just talking about ball skill, speed, evasiveness. The Titans offense, Tannehill has a lot of experience. He's a good serviceable NFL quarterback. Their weakness, man, they can't get off the field on third downs on defense. Last in the NFL. And I've got the Bills actually as fourth. They're knocking on the door, but man, 8-3 is a good record, but they haven't been consistent enough for me. They've got a lot of wins against bad teams, so I'm going to need a little bit more consistency. With me a couple more games, we'll talk Buffalo, but I like them. I like Josh Allen. That defense needs to be a little bit better, but I got them just kind of outside looking in right now. What you got for the NFC? My top three teams in the NFC that I think can actually win the Super Bowl, I have the Seahawks at number one, eight and three. Then I have the Saints at nine and two would be my second favorite. And then I have the Rams at number three, who are seven and four. And then I would I have the Packers as one of those teams that could maybe get there, but I just don't trust them at all. I'll elaborate on this a little bit. Seattle obviously has Russell Wilson. Their defense is finally starting to play better. They're not quite the Legion of Boom anymore. But we see how much difference of a team they are. Chris Carson's running the ball. They've always been a run first offense. Having him back is a huge help. The Seahawks with Russell Wilson can beat anyone at any time. And I think they're the favorites in the NFC. Next, we have the Saints who are 9-2. and two. As soon as they get Breeze back, they'll be fine. We saw 
what they did to Tampa Bay last time they played them. They're clearly the class of the NFC South. This was one of my preseason picks. I feel like their defense is arguably the best in the NFC, and they've certainly been playing a lot better. They can pressure the quarterback pretty well. So it's just really going to depend on how far Drew Brees can take this team, if he can kind of have one more miraculous run. And then I have the Rams at number three because I think they have a better defense than the Packers, and I think having a good pass rush matters in the playoffs when you're facing off against elite quarterbacks. You need to be able to get after them, and the Rams can also stop the run, and they have a tremendous secondary. That helps you win a lot of games in the playoffs. Their biggest weakness, I think, honestly, is Jared Goff and his consistency. He doesn't really look like he's an elite quarterback at this point. They have a ton of weapons, and their running game is pretty mediocre. But the Packers, sure, you have Aaron Rodgers, but we saw what they were last year. They made it to the playoffs and just kind of flaked out. I don't trust them. I think their defense is very suspect. I don't think it can keep them in games. And if everything relies on Aaron Rodgers, we've only seen it one time where he's actually gotten to the big game. So I'll bet against him. Oh, okay. Well, we agreed a lot in the AFC, but we have uh, disagreed tremendously in the NFC. Number one, I agree back. Give me Aaron Rodgers, man. It's first in scoring offense. These guys are good. Jones running that ball. Lazar catching that ball. Man, Aaron Rodgers is a bad man. Weaknesses, middle of the road defensively. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to outscore these people. But I think they can do it. I mean, I, I think they can. Number two, I got the Seahawks. More the same, just a juggernaut on offense. You got DK. You got Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson, Chris Carson. Like you said all this before, man, they're really good. Their weakness, same thing as the Packers. They're 25th in scoring defense. It would be tough to win like that, especially if you play against the highest powering. They look, they've looked better their last two games, though. They have, but, man, could you imagine if we get this Packers-Seahawks game in, in the playoffs? It'll be 50-49. to 49. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my third team, and you were going to disagree with this, they got beat pretty handily by the Saints two weeks ago, but give me the Buccaneers. Buccaneers, they have the experience. They have the talent on offense, man. It's there. Their defense is, is picky. It's opportunistic. They're not consistent enough. I'll be the first one to say. But, man, when they do get it rolling, they're tough to beat. Outside looking in, and this is crazy to have a 9-2 and two team in my outside looking in, but I just don't think that Drew Brees can do it. I think Father Tom's here. I think the Saints defense is good. They what have, if they stick with Taysom Hill? Same thing. I, I just don't think they can do it, man. I, I think the Saints are in for a big letdown. I just don't see it. And and my other thing is the Rams, like you said, golf, not consistent enough. They're on the edge. They're looking in, but, man, losing the 49ers really took them down in my book. I'm, I'm going to have to keep them on my outside looking in. So if I had to rank it in the NFC, I'd say Packers 1, Seahawks 2, Bucks 3, Saints 4, Rams 5. So we – Totally disagree about the Packers, and only time will tell. That's really what it comes down to. And then I think that the Bucks are, are a team of used to be good at big names, but are kind of at the tail end of their career. And I just don't trust them to, to really get it going. The Seahawks have the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL. You still give me Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown. That's a pretty darn good triplet. See, I, I personally think that the Antonio Brown move was terrible. I don't know for sure. We'll see what happens next year if any stories get released. But I really think the guy's a locker room killer. Maybe Tom Brady can you know, get him doing yoga or something with, with Giselle and 
get everyone on the TB12 method, but Antonio Brown to me is a nutcase, and that move to me just indicated that the Bucks are not going to make it. Bruce Arians said Antonio Brown is a model citizen. <laughs> Bruce Arians, he's also not too known for his judgment, so... <laughs> Well done. Well done. All right. Next, let's move into our week 13 predictions. First game, we have the Saints versus the Falcons. The Falcons are kind of on a little bit of a heater right now. As we discussed earlier, they kind of do this every year where they just suddenly come out of nowhere and the Falcons are back. Everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon, but don't kid yourself for a second. The Saints are the superior football team, even with Taysom Hill. We actually don't think it's looked that bad. He's an athlete. He's not the most effective passer, but he's keeping teams off balance, and their defense is just underrated. I think that they probably have the best defense in the NFC, which is another reason why I'm so high on them. I'll take the Saints to win this one. There you go. Hey, I got nothing against Taysom Hill, man. If you go back and watch that Minnesota game last year in the playoffs, Drew Brees could not move the ball at all. Taysom Hill moved the ball. He had that like 50-yard pass play. He had all these QB draws. He was the spark plug in that game, and if he wasn't there, that game wouldn't have even gotten to overtime. So I'm with you. I think Saints are too good for the Falcons, although it would not surprise me if the Falcons came out and won. Yeah, at at this point, they're kind of unpredictable. Next game, we have the used-to-be Saxonville. We can no longer call them that because their defense is abysmal. Jaguars facing off against the Minnesota Vikings. So the Jaguars switched over to Mike Glennon as their new quarterback in what has been a quarterback carousel. Glennon actually played pretty well. They hung in last week, only lost by two. But Minnesota is a far superior team. I still have this sneaking suspicion that Minnesota is going to make the playoffs. Because they're because the playoff field is expanded this year, it could happen. Three teams are making it from the NFC. They're kind of a scary team because if they get in and Dalvin Cook's playing well and they control time of possession, and Mike Zimmer's known to get his defense rolling at times, but they're they're easily going to overmatch the Jags. Dalvin Cook will have his way, and that receiving core with Jefferson and Thielen looks better and better every week. I'll take the Vikings. Okay, hold on now. You beat the Panthers. Let's have a couple more wins before we say they're going to the playoffs. <laughs> I, th- I think I, they could do it. I really do. I think Minnesota could sneak in. I think I'll they're over the Jaguars. The Jaguars are in full tank mode. I'm not buying your playoff situation just yet. Maybe they will. They're in it. They're in the hunt. One of the best games we got this week is the Browns and Titans. You got the inconsistent Browns versus the kind of inconsistent Titans. What you got? I know you love them Browns. Yeah, I love watching the Steelers stomp that ass. This game, to me, and I'm going to do it again like I pretty much always do if you haven't noticed so far, but this time I think it's more justified. The Titans are playing a lot better now. Derrick Henry is absolutely rolling. This is going to be a battle of the running backs. Nick Chubb versus Derrick Henry. Should be a great matchup. Ryan Tannehill, still a far better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, and the Titans still have a lot more weapons. I'll take the Titans. I think they win this one, and I think they win this one pretty easily. I think you're right. It really didn't just dawn on me till now, but I think the Titans are superior at every position, skill position on the offense. I think Tannehill is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Yep. I think Derrick Henry is not only the best running back in the NFL, but he's better than Nick Chubb, and I'll take my boy. And that's a, Nick, Nick Chubb's good. 
He's a good running back. He is. Yeah, he's a good running back. Uh, and I think A.J. Brown is – you could make an argument he is better at the moment than Jarvis Landry, even though Jarvis is a PPR machine in your, in your fantasy leagues. But I'll tell you this. I'm going with Titans. I think the Browns are just too inconsistent. I did see a stat the other day in the Titans game that said Derrick Henry in his career averages more in the last eight games of the season than he does in the first. He wears guys down. Give me Henry. Give me the Titans. Let's roll. So next game, we have the Detroit Lions taking on the Chicago Bears. So Matt Patricia and general manager Bob Quinn got canned. I feel like it was long overdue. And the backlash from former players and current players on Twitter was pounding. People clearly did not like the guy. I mean, he couldn't even show up on time for meetings, so it's not really that surprising. Definitely needed to happen. The bad news bears of offense is still a thing. Mitch Trubisky, even though he's taken over, fumbled the ball and threw two interceptions, so their quarterback puzzle is still not solved. But I don't know that the Lions can rally with an interim head coach, and they've kind of just been on a downward spiral. I'll take the Bears. They have a great defense. Their offense is still very suspect, but they get a cakewalk matchup here against the Lions. We agree again. The Lions are spiraling. They have no identity. I think that uh, they have just given up on this year firing Patricia. Give me the Bears. I think the defense is going to be too good. Uh, I, I like the Bears. Next, we got the Joe Burrowless Bengals versus the Dolphins. Dalton, this is a shame because as of three weeks ago, we could have had. Joe Burrow versus two attack of Alela round two. It would have been great. It would have been amazing, but Bengals offensive linemen can't block anyone. So they're going to have a tough time here against the Dolphins, even though Tua might not play. Ryan Fitz magic came back in last week and played great. I think, you know, he was definitely motivated after getting benched, came in and I don't think it's too much of a downgrade from Tua this early on in his career. The Dolphins still look like a playoff team. I think Miles Gaskin, their starting running back, should also be healthy. Fitzmagic knows how to spread the ball around, and the Bengals, their season's done. So I'll take the Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick does love to spread the ball around to his teammates and the other team. I love Fitzmagic, but, but I just couldn't resist. I'm with you. You know, the Finns are only one game back from the Bills quietly, so I'm taking the Finns and we might have a little race down the stretch. Yeah. I think they play each other again, too, so that, that could dictate the AFC East. Next game, we have the Washington football team taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. So with all the scheduling changes and the Steelers having to be on short weeks now, this, to me, smells like a trap game. And Washington is playing a lot better. They clobbered Dallas last week. Antonio Gibson looks like one of the – Best steals of the draft coming out of Memphis. It looks like a franchise running back at this point. Alex Smith is playing a lot better. Washington can get after the quarterback. But it's hard to justify them upsetting the Steelers, who also have a tremendous pass rush and can air the ball out well. Not so worried about Washington having a good run defense because James Conner at this point is more of a change of pace player on the Steelers offense as they've basically just aired it out every single game. I think I do think this game is going to be close, and I think it's a little bit of a trap game because Washington is fighting for the NFC East division crown, and they're going to be extra motivated. But I'll take the Steelers 
and a nail biter. Hey, I got to give you credit. You called this whenever they played the Cowboys about a month ago about this trap game. So I think you've made some valid points. I don't quite think that the Washington football team are going to upset the Steelers, but uh, I think Washington's going to win the NFC East. So, um, you think so? Steelers? Yeah. I mean, the Cowboys are just not going to do it. The Eagles are sloundering around. They're not doing anything. And Daniel Jones just hurt his hamstring this week. So I think Washington is the clear favorites. Yeah, that's a, that's a killer. I would have said that the Giants would have been the favorites, but if Daniel Jones is out, Washington's just going to be gifted into the playoffs. <laughs> Four and 12. Playoff. <laughs> Could happen. First time ever. Next game, we have the Colts versus the Texans going with an upset victory here for the Texans. They've been playing a lot better lately. They're kind of a scary team. They're thrown in the Patriots the other week. Deshaun Watson's been playing out of his mind. I still don't trust the Colts. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. They blow games they shouldn't. Phillip Rivers really looks washed at this point. They're bringing Jacoby Brissett in on like gimmick packages because Rivers just seems so anemic trying to move the ball. Maybe he just has too much noise at home from all of his kids running around, but not not too sure. And it looks like their starting running back, Jonathan Taylor, was out last week. We'll see if that impacts them this week. I like the tight. I like the Texans. Have losing Will Fuller to the PED suspension, which was some pretty huge breaking news, is going to be pretty crucial. But I think they overcome it. I like how Deshaun Watson's playing. They're kind of rallying around their interim head coach, the oldest head coach in NFL history. I'll take the Texans. Oh, sweet Romeo. Huh? That's awesome. Yes, the Colts are still inconsistent, but I still think if they're worse, they're better than the Texans, who are playing better of late. But, eh, give me Indy. Next game, we have the Raiders versus the Jets. I'm not so sure about this matchup anymore. <laughs> if you would have told me last week that I'd be questioning this, I would call you a lunatic. However, the Raiders, I don't know what team showed up last week. It looked like, you know, maybe the South Carolina Gamecocks or or Duke in football. I really don't know which team this was. They got clobbered last week to Atlanta, 43-6. to I feel like I have to take them just because they're playing the Jets, but I really don't trust them anymore. I was high on them coming into last week, but now to me, I think they've just kind of ruined their entire reputation. I know it's one game, but that was bad. That was that was terrible. You can't even watch it. It was painful. I'll take the Raiders to win, but I think this is going to be close. Maybe the Jets get their first win. If it's going to happen, maybe it's this week. I don't know what happened last week. I'm taking the Raiders, but I'll say this. If John Gruden loses this game, he is my lock for the AGA award next week. <laughs> that's fair. So he, he, Raiders. he was pretty deserving of the nomination this week. That's for sure. Well, you know, we're all entitled to a bad week, I guess, or whatever. He's getting paid a lot more money than we are, but I will take the Raiders. I think Derek Carr has a bounce back game. I think they get to seven and five this week. Next game, we have the Giants versus the Seahawks. We just spoke about Daniel Jones potentially missing time. So if he's out, Giants really don't have anything left. I don't even know who their backup quarterback is at this point. So I'll take Seattle. Their defense is finally playing better. And then now that Chris Carson is back, they look like one of the most well-rounded teams in the NFL. Carson, to me, is the difference maker for Seattle. When he plays, they're almost unstoppable. Beast mode 2.0, he looks great. I'll take the Seahawks. Daniel Jones 
not playing as if it was going to influence your decision on this game. Daniel Jones could have played, and I'm still taking Seahawks. I mean, it's- yeah, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made a difference, but I mean, now it's just even more obvious. Okay, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I'm taking Seahawks. Uh, Rams Cardinals, big NFC West matchup. What you think? So the Cardinals are another one of those unpredictable teams. You never know which one's going to show up. Kyler Murray had a very bad game against the Patriots, but the Rams also lost to the 49ers. So this is really a must-win game for both teams. It's going to be a great matchup overall. I still think that Kyler Murray at this point is playing better than Jared Goff, but the Rams still do have a ferocious defense, great secondary, and they need this win more. I'll take the Rams. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm going the other way. I think Caleb Murray's due for a big bounce back game. Like you said, he struggled mightily against those Patriots defenders last week. Um, I think that Goff has been just bopping around inconsistently. I think that Rams defense can only carry them so far. Give me the Cardinals. Give me Kyler Murray. Give me Cliff Kingsbury. And I think the Cardinals still win here. Okay. Next game, we have the New England Patriots taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. The Pats are now 5-6, and six, and just when you think they're out of the playoffs, they surprise you with an upset win. As Zach and I talked about earlier, not sure what Bill Belichick is up to, if he's actually trying to make the playoffs, or if who knows at this point if he's just trying to say, hey, I won this many games with this team, I'm still the best. But speaking of head coaches, I don't think enough people are talking about how terrible of a job Anthony Lynn has done this year with the Chargers. The guy is just, he's scared. He coaches scared. He doesn't play to win. They're, they have zero aggression. You know, he punts on fourth and one seemingly every single time. And it's, I don't ever want to call for a guy to lose his job, but you have such a talented core now with Justin Herbert, who I was wrong about. And I'll admit it, I thought Herbert was going to be a bust. But then you still have guys like Austin Eckler, really good defense, great playmakers on offense. He's really done a piss-poor job this year with this team. I don't think that turns around this week. I'll, I'll take the Patriots. Maybe they go on a little bit of a mini run, pretend that they're actually going to make the playoffs and finish around 500, which is where I had them in my early predictions, 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Kind of confusing on how bad of a job he has done in San Diego. Man, this team has a lot of good young talent, and Justin Herbert has really played well. I mean, he's the only thing kind of toting this team away from just total abyss. But uh, give me the Patriots, Cam Newton, and all of his four touchdowns this year. Passing touchdowns, that is. I think he might actually get number five this week. I'm going to go with the Patriots to beat the Chargers. Go Chargers. Next game we have the Eagles versus the Packers. The Eagles need to move on from Carson Wentz. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. He looks lost in the pocket. He can't catch snaps anymore. I don't know if it's in his head at this point, but they really, I think they need to let Jalen Hurts play just to see if the guy has anything to kind of salvage this season. A lot of people might try to say, well, Philly's offensive line is bad and they've been hurt all year. That's true. But this week, You had Alshon Jeffrey back. You had all your receivers healthy. You had tight ends healthy. You had Miles Sanders back. And it still still looks like the same quarterback. So this is kind of a make it or break it week, I think, for Carson Wentz. And if he doesn't turn it around, they might have to try Jalen Hurt. The Packers, they're an okay team. I'm still just not that sold on them. They're, They're on the outside looking into me in the NFC for Super Bowl contenders. 
They're pulling off wins. Aaron Rodgers is still elite, but he's still a drama queen. Aaron Jones is a great running back. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good matchup. The Eagles need to win this game, but I think they fall just short. I'll take the Packers. Yeah, I mean, talk about Carson Wentz. The only saving grace that the Eagles have is they happen to play in the NFC East, and I think that um, they still have a little bit of room to play with. But I think you're right. I think the the rope's getting awful short on Carson Wentz. So give me the Packers. Give me Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's going to be close. I think the Eagles' defense plays well enough in the first half to keep them in it, but I think the Packers pull away late. Next game, we have the Denver Broncos taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. The Broncos really need a new quarterback. They're another one of those franchises that can't seem to find their guy. The Chiefs are absolutely rolling at this point. Patrick Mahomes is ridiculous. Tyreek Hill, if you had him in fantasy last week, you are quite pleased because he probably won you your week. I'll take the Chiefs to stay rolling in an easy victory. Yeah, nothing to see here. We don't even know who's going to play quarterback for the Broncos. I I think the Chiefs are just a slam dunk of the week. Give me them. We got the Cowboys and the Ravens scheduled to play. We'll actually see if this game actually happens, but what do you think about this? I'm going to assume that by this point, Lamar Jackson will be back in the starting lineup for the Baltimore Ravens. And with how terrible Dallas looked against Washington, don't think you can trust them anymore at this point. I actually thought the Cowgirls would beat Washington last week, but now they've kind of showed me what sort of team they are. The Ravens, to I think they're going to go on a bit of a run here. Their schedule gets a lot easier after the Steelers matchup tomorrow. They could very well finish the season 11-5 and five if you look at the rest of their schedule. They win this one easily. I don't see much here. I think um, the big dependent here is if uh, Mike McCarthy decides how many points they're going to get beat by. Is he going to run two or three fake punts this week? Ravens are <laughs> superior. Cowboys can't keep up. That defense is bad. Lamar Jackson is going to run. He's going to get tired of running. That's how much he's going to run all over them. Give me the Ravens. This next matchup, we have the Buffalo Bills versus the San Francisco 49ers. This is a very tantalizing proposition for you. I think that the 49ers maybe could sneak into the playoffs. Beating the Rams last week with Raheem Mostert coming back, Debo Samuel being back healthy. I know Mullins is still a little bit of a question mark at quarterback, but Kyle Shanahan can find ways to get the most out of guys like that just with his superior play calling. The Bills have been playing better, but... They're on the road here. I think this is a game that they slip up because I still don't trust them completely. I'll take the 49ers in an upset win. Really? Okay. I see your rationale with the Bills being very consistent this year. I led earlier on that um, they've got eight wins, but they've got a bunch of wins against some bad teams. So I'm going to take Buffalo. Again, I think Kyle Shanahan's doing a remarkable job with what he has. I just don't think that uh, they can keep up and hold out for this long. I'm going to go with Buffalo. The you know they're going to play this game in Glendale because Santa Clara County, where San Francisco plays, has put a cease on all contact sports at least through December 31st. So now the 49ers will play their home games for the next month in Glendale, Arizona. So 
not really going to have much of a home field advantage. It doesn't really matter. No fans. Yeah, there's not there's not really fans anyway, so I don't know that that impacts them too much anyway. Give me the Bills. Okay. Do you think that the 49ers can make a little bit of a run here to the playoffs? And if I they do, does Kyle Shanahan is Kyle Shanahan the best coach in the NFL? I don't think they can. I think they're too undermanned. Not even the fact that they don't have the talent. It's just I think that their talent is less because of all the injuries. They play in a pretty tough division. You got the Seahawks, you got the Rams, which you had as two of your Super Bowl contenders. I think the Cardinals are still a playoff team. I man, I just I think the Bucks are gonna take up one of those wild card spots. I just don't think they can. But I still think Kyle Shanahan's a top five six coach, five or six coach in the NFL, no doubt. We'll have to do our head coach rankings sometimes. I'd be interested to see who your top five are. I mean, obviously, Adam Gase and Mike McCarthy are one to follow <laughs> yeah, that's, by. That's, that's pretty Tomlin. evident. Mike Tomlin at number three. That's about right. I, I got nothing bad to say about Mike Tomlin. We've talked before. The guy deserves a Nobel Peace Prize for keeping Antonio Brown's drama swept under the rug, Ben Roethlisberger's drama swept under the rug. He's an elite football coach. I got nothing but mad respect for Mike Tomlin. Yeah. He also has incredible quotes. And his press conferences are very entertaining. But with that being said, that wraps up this week's episode. Stay tuned because going forward, we're going to be rolling out a new format where we're going to break down some MLB and NHL history. And we're going to combine those two sports in their own podcast episodes released on Friday. We're looking forward to it. We're going to go very in-depth with our rankings because that's what you guys want to hear. I'm sure of it. We think it's going to be unique and very entertaining for you, the listeners. So don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us some comments. Tweet us out. You know, Leave some feedback. We want to know what you guys think, and uh, we just want to know how to make it better. So let us know. Stay tuned for more killer content.